0: You are listening to the BOSS Business of Surgery Series podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. This is episode number six, a very important episode where I talk with Dr. Ariana Giannakos. She is an orthopedic surgeon and the author of the World Journal of Surgery article, bullying, discrimination, harassment, sexual harassment, and the fear of retaliation during surgical residency training. This critical work highlights the changes that must happen in surgical training. These are long-lasting consequences, not just for surgical trainees, but as surgeons as they develop in their career. She highlighted that surgical residents noted 37% rate of burnout, 33% of anxiety and depression, 71% of surgical residents that experienced bullying and harassment never reported this. And of those that reported, 56% of surgical residents were retaliated against for reporting some of this harassment. She further continued her work with Speak Up Ortho, as well as Physician Just Equity. Her work not only highlights problems, but also highlights the solution. It's a privilege to share her work. Okay, it's Amy Vertrees here. I'm here with Dr. Ariana Giannakos. Uh, she is an orthopedic surgeon, a foot and ankle, uh, in a foot and ankle fellowship at Harvard Medical, um, at Mass General Hospital. Uh, really excited about the topic today too, just the amount of information that you have to share with us today that is so critical for all surgeons, uh, both in training and these uh, attendings that really need to hear all of this. We're so excited to hear about this study that you've had and all the work you're doing. So Dr.
1: Giannakos, how would
0: you introduce yourself, like want to convey who you are?
1: Yes, thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to speak with you. So uh, I'm currently a foot and ankle orthopedic surgery fellow at Harvard Massachusetts General Hospital in a wonderful fellowship, really enjoying my time. I'll be completing a second fellowship in lower extremity sports medicine and Iona, which is in-office needle arthroscopy, just to get a little bit more additional training in foot and ankle surgery. And, And part of my passion in addition to foot and ankle surgery is really learning about how we can improve our workplace, whether it be educationally or just through the environment and I've been really lucky and fortunate to pair with so many amazing mentors across subspecialty to do some work in a lot of the leadership groups to really promote a healthy workplace. Yes and um, I know we're going to talk about
0: your paper in a minute but what led to this paper that talks about bullying discrimination and harassment? What were some of the things that led to you know you starting this journey in the first place?
1: I think sometimes when you become interested in a topic, sometimes it can stem from your own personal experiences. And unfortunately, during my residency, I did face some bullying, some discrimination, harassment. And when I tried to report some of these behaviors, I realized that there were a lot of flaws in the system in reporting. Um, you know, sometimes it wasn't confidential. Sometimes you were retaliated against. And and I realized it was very difficult to speak up for yourself, especially when you're in a system that has a major power dynamic between attending positions and whether you're an intern or a resident or even a medical student so so where my my maybe negative experience uh, was something that was difficult to navigate at the time I, I really wanted to convert a lot of that negative energy into something positive because as I spoke to other colleagues across some specialties I realized that I wasn't the only one who was dealing with this and um, you know we're always told in residency to keep your head down and just keep pushing forward and, and even as we go in our career, we're supposed to have this tough exterior, but but sometimes that's not always the right thing to do for you. You know, it can really result in a lot of, you know, career detriment to yourself. You know, you lose your confidence. Sometimes you can get anxiety, burnout, depression, all these things can stem from abusive behaviors. So the goal of the paper was to really look to see, you know, who was experiencing these behaviors? Was it going on across subspecialty? How often? And, and what were methods that were already reported on how to improve the environment and, and prevent this from going on further?
0: Take me through this, this process of, you know how did you uncover the information? And what were some of the things that you
1: found both surprising and not surprising? Yeah, so we we conducted a systematic review in looking at all of the literature that has been published on this topic from 2010 to 2020. So in total, we found 25 studies that met criteria and, and basically we were looking for articles and studies that looked at or evaluated for bullying, discrimination, harassment, sexual harassment, and then any type of retaliation behaviors that were faced by surgical residents. So this wasn't limited to just orthopedic surgery, which is my field. This was limited. This was actually expanded across all surgical subspecialties. Um, We ended up looking at a total of 29,980 residents who responded to different surveys that were conducted. Um, And unfortunately, we found there was a very high number of reported behaviors, which once again, I I think it's always underrepresented. too, because a lot of people don't report these things. But we found that 63% of residents, surgical residents, experience bullying. 43% experienced discrimination, 29% experienced harassment, and 27% experienced sexual harassment. Our findings also demonstrated that the majority of these individuals were female who were experiencing these abusive behaviors and that over 37% of them reported burnout from these behaviors and over 33% of them reported anxiety or depression as a result of these behaviors. Um, which is really, you know, the, the numbers are sad that this, is, um, that this is still going on so much. Um, what was even more, uh, I think, important was, was seeing that 71% of all respondents did not report the behavior to their programs or their institutions. And, and the reason for this was primarily because of fear of retaliation. They felt that nothing was going to be done, and, and many were just not comfortable with the reporting system. And of the small amount that did actually report, over half of those people said that they had a negative experience and they wouldn't report again. Um, So I think that says a lot about the system as a problem rather than maybe an individual person as a problem, you know, that we have to change, you know, how we have a reporting system so that people feel safe and comfortable when they do want to speak up.
0: Your points are so well stated. So many times that when we're in the moment, Um, We don't even recognize necessarily that it's happening. And I agree. I mean, I imagine this is way underreported. I know that you mentioned a little bit in this paper, but what does bullying and harassment and these things, what did that look like? How would you describe these these, uh, events happening?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think one one of the things we did with this lit review as well, which we can talk about a little bit later, is we looked at what articles reported on how to fix the problem, essentially. And one of the things was that you should define the behaviors and you should be able to teach residents and medical students and, and attendings and faculty members, you know, what are you know examples of these behaviors so that people are a little bit more understanding of, of what's the problem? So you know, bullying and harassment tend to be a little bit overlapping. Um, you know, there's a lot of different forms that this can can take. There can be verbal abuse. You know, where um, you know someone's coming down hard on someone. They use profanity. They are uh, repetitively trying to put a person down. Um, I think the important thing with this is knowing that whether it's bullying and harassment, there's an intent to harm. Um, so, you know, there's there's times where, you know, we're all medical doctors and sometimes there are times that we need to, someone needs to be hard on us for patient care. You know, we, ca- we can't let something slip because it's an important job that we're doing. Um, but there's a way of being able to uh, speak and to communicate and also not do something in a repetitive manner that's intended to do harm to that individual, intended to put them down, intended to hurt and break their confidence. Um, you So I think those are types of examples of bullying, and and it could be verbally. It could be uh, even physically. Sometimes there are things that happen in the OR and in the operating room. Uh, It could be through um, even microaggressions, where you may not even realize something is happening, and you might not get the scalpel right away, or it's taken away, or you're not assigned to cases that maybe you wouldn't be assigned to. Um, If you're not getting treated fairly or equally as far as compared to your other counterparts, these are all examples of, the, of what can be considered a microaggression and, and lead to systemic bullying. Um, so it's it's difficult to define, um, but I think the, the key is knowing that there's an intent to harm. Um, and, and I think uh, one article had defined bullying and harassment as a type of psychological warfare, um, because it really does do damage to a person's confidence and their ability to function. And, and at the end of the day, although we want to address these behaviors, behaviors and fix the problem for us. Um, I think what we have to realize is if we're going through these these really bad abusive behaviors, our patients are going to suffer and the patient care is going to suffer. So, So we need to fix this, not just to make it better for all of us, but better for our patients too.
0: Some of the data that you had in your paper was really, you know, striking as well It's like, you know, almost like a third of residents um, experiencing burnout. And, you know, burnout doesn't allow you to make any good decisions. It doesn't allow you to have resilience or, you know, protect yourself, which, of course, then were not available for others. And, you know, what was your take on that number? Was that surprising to you? Yes,
1: I, I, it really was. And once again, it's probably even more than what we're reporting in, in reality, which is a really sad thing for me to say. Um, but I think, yeah, it was almost 40% was burnout. And then about 30% was either anxiety or depression. And, and the individuals attributed these things to the behaviors that they were experiencing during their training. And, and I think that right now, um, you, you bring up an amazing point. You can't work at your best if you're dealing with you know pain and dysfunction and your own things that you're trying to overcome and th- these are things that can be changed you know just with a work environment change or with a culture change and so um, you, we don't want our patients to suffer because we aren't working in a normal healthy work environment um, you know hostility is not a way that medical doctors should be should be training under and and they need to feel confident so they can develop the skills to be a great doctor um, so i think that this this paper it, it just ties back to the fact that we need we identified a problem within the education system. We are identifying ways to fix it, and then ultimately our patients are going to obtain better care because their physicians are going to be in a better mindset where they can focus on the patient rather than being the patient to the, and you know trying to fix themselves.
0: Yeah. And I think this is really great to start questioning our, our training because we have to be a little bit hard. We have to have some standards and have to have, you know, some um, aspects of it being a little uncomfortable. But at the same time, you know, revealing the fact that the result of these behaviors that we've kind of accepted as normal training that, you know, just, you know, beating up on the, the lower residents and things like that and um, is really has long-term consequences because with this, you know, exposure of the idea of of this behavior causing such long-term consequences, of course, you know, devastating to kind of think that so many people are walking around with anxiety, depression, and burnout, um, you know, and these are the ones that are caring for patients. And they're also the ones training other people too, because we do what we know, you know, I guess, trained ourselves to do because we think, well, I turned out okay. So maybe this is just how it's supposed to be. Um, But I think that the ability to actively question this um, effectiveness of it and the long-term consequences is just something that's been missing so far in the literature so far.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And I know, um, you know, as you know, and we spoke about a little bit earlier, I'm one of the founding members of Speak Up Ortho. And it's interesting because um, I had started this study prior to the development of Speak Up Ortho. And then simultaneously um, Speak Up Ortho was developed and just to give a little background, basically this was a group, that was developed by four individuals, but also a collective group of women who had realized that there was an issue in the field of orthopedics similar to this. Um, a lot of this was stemming from sexist comments that were arising and that people were starting to disclose. And we realized that this wasn't just a one person problem, like a me problem, this was a more endemic problem. So we, we formed this group and we created the social media platform that allowed anonymous sharing of stories. And um, we had over 350 stories within the first two months of its opening, essentially, all anonymous, but all demonstrating um, all these different uh, behaviors, sexual harassment being the the most that we received, um, bullying, uh, retaliation when people tried to report, and what was really interesting to me is that a lot of these were from residents, a lot were even from medical students, But some were from physicians who had been, you know, 10 plus, 15 plus years out in their career. And and some of the stories were saying how they held on to these really negative memories over the years. And this was the first time they are expressing what had happened to them. And it was, you know, therapeutic for them. But at the same time, I, I think it just demonstrates that, you know, we are seeing and identifying a problem that's really starting when we're in our training and it's carrying on with us, even if we're maybe not even in the hostile environment anymore, but it's still having these negative effects extending on into our careers and our lives. And and so it's time that we shine light on the problem to determine how we can alter the narrative so that people don't have to face what you know people 15 years ago were facing and and the fact that the stories are so similar 15 20 years ago and now means we haven't done a good job of making things better and it's time to start doing that
0: i completely agree and you know as a surgeon coach you know, i coach surgeons as well and and most of the people that i coach are um, attending surgeons mid-career and i could tell you that the the effects of training and the environment are long-lasting. These are these are things that are carried throughout the career, um, and this is you know obviously a source of dissatisfaction in career and um, you know interactions with our peers and uh, nursing and things like that too, because we're just not taught a normal way to interact with people that don't don't really develop that. Um, empathy for others and, and, you know, wanting people to succeed is sort of like the you know, beat people with a hammer kind of thing or else. When that's the, the model that we had, it really affects us long term, not just with residents. And so I read this knowing say, ah, this is where it starts. And I'm
1: really glad that someone's shining some light on that aspect. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, you know, it's a heavy topic and not one that people want to speak about. And I know it's one that when I started writing it and looking into this, I, I didn't necessarily want to be the person to start this conversation. But at the same time, I knew it was the right thing to do because it did really, it, it affects so many people and it's going to affect people following us. And I, I would never want to see other people going through these types of behaviors if I knew that we could all contribute to making the, the workplace a better place for all.
0: Yes, and um, you know I think this is a really great way for me to plug and, and slightly embarrass you potentially. Congratulations on winning the very first Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society Award in Courage in two thousand twenty one, and and it prompted me to th- to say that because it's exactly what you just said. It's you know having a little bit of fear of shining some light on some things that we know needs to have some light shined on it um, being a little bit afraid and doing it anyway and that is of course the definition of courage and so I think that that in particular just um, speaks so well of all the work that you're doing and the speak up um, ortho movement which you know that's how I uh, came across your name initially was that project going gosh you know this is really amazing all the things that you guys are doing. Like, let's say that I'm a resident now and I'm experiencing some bullying and harassment. What, were, what would be some of the things that you suggest to me as far as improving um, or what, what should I do?
1: Yeah, so so you know the part of the paper was to look at what has already been written as far as strategies. Uh, we are also working with a group called Speak Up Coalition, which is the spin-off group of Speak Up Ortho, to help develop strategies for to address this exact issue. Um, I think that everything should be done in a stepwise fashion, if possible. Um, some of the things we're recommending is that. Residency programs have a designated resident advocate who can help um, in and is a neutral party that they trust and that. You can help mediate some of the discussion in the beginning. So if, if a resident is having an issue, they could be an instant ally. Hopefully, um, my, my recommendation too is if a resident has a good rapport with the senior resident, I think speaking with them first is always a good way to go just to get some, you know, just to, to hash things out to see what the problem actually is. Um, and then ultimately, you know, having open communication with the program, um, you know, if they're comfortable with the program director sitting down and having a meeting with them is is ideal. Um, sometimes, and, and this is why we think it's really important, sometimes you need a third party, though, that is completely neutral, not part of the program at all, um, that, you know, helps uh, mediate the complaint so that you know the person who is reporting doesn't feel like they're going to be targeted for reporting this. And then maybe if this report is against a, a physician or an attending, the attending physician knows that it's somewhat of a safe place as well, where they can try to figure out and come to a solution rather than being a he said she said thing. It's more of this open communication and dialogue to work through a problem. Um, so ideally, that would be a really great thing to have. Uh, we are starting to discuss with some tech companies about reporting apps to try to take out, just to give another layer of support to people who want to report, knowing that there is another party involved. Because I think that's where um, people get really scared is because, you know, say it's your attending that is the problem. How do you confidently report this person, right? Without feeling like you're not going to have, you're going to get in trouble or you're going to be targeted afterwards. So I think that third party representation is is good. I I think also prevention strategies, like curriculum changes, Bystander intervention training for faculty and staff, as well as residents, is something we're really promoting. Um, one of my co-authors, the second author, Dr. Julie Frieschlag, who is an amazing physician. She's the president of the American College of Surgeons right now. She has led the way in bystander intervention training and is coming up with different curriculums to introduce so that programs have access to this. We're trying to work with a couple of different groups, too, on anti-bullying curriculums, anti-harassment curriculums, um, but not doing it in a way that, you just click through things on a computer but actually make it more interactive so that people can really see things and and talk it through and and have real life types of simulation training i think that can be very helpful especially maybe in programs that feel that they need this help more so so those are things that we are working on um, but i i think too the biggest thing that we don't give enough credit is to the fact that our voices are now being heard whether it be through these research papers through speak up ortho uh, we're noticing more and more people are talking about, it. you and I are talking about it on a podcast. And I think the fact that we're at this place that we can openly talk more about it, I think is already changing the culture now. Um, so that people not it's becoming more the norm to say this isn't okay and I want to fix, you know, I was i was harassed or I—I I, this happened to me. I don't want it to happen again. Who do I talk to? I think it's going to be more welcome now because we're changing how people view the problem um, and how to and we're providing them with different alternative solutions.
0: I totally agree. And I think that the one thing that has really helped us is technology. Um, you know, I think the two biggest dangers for anyone surgical subspecialty or otherwise is feelings of isolation and feelings of shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with the group like this Speak Up Ortho and this um, Physician Just Equity groups that you're you're doing, um, what this is offering people is a place to, um, you know, express what's going on to them because as Brené Brown says, shame does not survive the light of day. Um, but also not feeling isolated, because I know that especially if you feel like you're being bullied or harassed in a program and you may not have an ally, knowing that there's allies elsewhere, such a critical aspect of this too. Um, so I really applaud your effort with this uh, Speak Up Ortho. What are some of the things that Speak Up Ortho has done and also the uh, Physician Just Equity? What are some of the things that you've been able to accomplish?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, well, Speak Up Ortho, we just put out a couple of our authors just wrote and authored two manuscripts that are in JOS now. One is a narratives manuscript, and that basically presents a couple examples of different narratives that had been submitted to us with expert opinions to, to basically discuss how do we fix these problems. Uh, a second one was our first call to action paper, which is which is actually a really good supplement to this World Journal of Surgery um, manuscript because it's just um, it's like an outline of custom steps that you can do if you're a program director. It's a Dear Program Director letter, and, and it talks about defining and educating and third-party representation and, and all these different types of intervention strategies. So those are some papers that we have put out. Um, we've in, been invited, a few of us, um, to give guest lectures across the country in different institutions about the Movement and how you know to change the culture. We were at the uh this past AAOS Academy meeting giving a lecture on gender discrimination and retaliation. And and so these things have been really incredibly well-received. In February, I think it's February 3rd, we will be doing a a Speak Up Ortho journal club in partnership with Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society. So the journal club is the first of hopefully many that uh, is for, it's across the country, it's a webinar and they have experts who are leading the discussion and it's looking at articles similar to the one we're talking about uh, to basically address you know, burnout, harassment, uh, discrimination across the board, and we're having this open discussion with a lot of the leaders across the country. So those are some of the things that Speak Up Ortho has worked on. Physician Just Equity has 34 peer supporters, and we've had numerous people come, uh, and basically the way peer uh, Physician Just Equity works is that if you have a concern or a conflict at work, you can submit your information and you're paired up with a small team. And that's usually a, a, a team of physicians. Sometimes there's lawyers that are representing people as well. And, and just to offer advice um, and, and how to navigate things, and then also pairing people up with resources that they might need. And it could be legal resources, counseling resources. Um, and so they provide that. They, we have a, We've also published a paper in the Cancer Letter about the group. Uh, we have obtained some grant funding. So we're producing some research based on the numbers that we've had. Um, and, and we've also hosted several webinars. Uh, we paired with AMWA. So a lot of things have been happening on both fronts. And uh, it's I think that um, the people, I think the biggest thing too to know is a lot of these individuals are all volunteering their time to do these things. Um, and I think between Speak Up Ortho, you know, Physician Just Equity, and then our Speak Up Coalition group, which is the group that spans specialties, um, it's amazing to me to see such incredible leaders who take the time out of their day and volunteer to meet with us and create ideas and strategies and um, see the passion that they have to make the workplace a better environment. And I think that's really refreshing. And, and it shows you that our, our field wants to change and will change. And we have the right people who are in leadership who want to do it.
0: It certainly seems that way too. I mean, just what a really remarkably amazing thing. I mean, your paper shines light on on what needs to happen. And it sounds like all of these efforts are already underway. Um, And so I know that, well, I'll put this in the show notes as well, but, you know, highlight these uh, programs and how to help and how could the person who maybe, I want to help, like, how do I help? Yes.
1: Yes, I mean, well, first of all, physician just equity in general, because it spans, cross subspecialty is open to whoever wants to help and you know is okay with volunteering their time right now and if you go on the website there is a link in the website that you can actually click on to say that you want to be a peer supporter and you want to volunteer your time and do this and and it's a, it's open to we have you know me- medical doctors we have um, family medicine doctors, uh, ER doctors, all types of surgeons. So it's open to anyone who, you know, most of the people involved have experienced something, you know, that has led them to want to be part of this. And that's why they can all offer their own advice and their own insight and guidance because of their experiences. So you can go to Physician Just Equity, the website, and there should be a, an area that you can say or write in that you'd be, you'd be interested in being a peer supporter. Um, and so we're looking for people all the time. With regards to Speak Up Ortho, you know, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you send us a direct message on one of those platforms, just voicing your interest, we are also always open to having people involved either in Speak Up Ortho or in the coalition work that we're doing, which involves a little bit more strategy planning. Um, and that's, you know, still in its infancy, but we've been doing work for the last six months or so still and and making a lot of progress. So we're always looking for people who want to volunteer and help out.
0: That's really great. Well, I'm hoping to, um, you know, with this podcast, we can maybe get a few more volunteers for you too, because I think the mission you're doing is just so incredible. Now getting back a little bit to you though, tell me a little bit about, I know that you're about to do an international travel fellowship and also, yes. oh, by the way, in your spare time, you do a PhD as well? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes. Um, yeah. So I, uh, a lot of this is overlapping work, which is good. Um, the, the travel fellowship will take place primarily in the U.S. and in Europe. It's it's a six-month travel fellowship, and it's focusing on lower extremity sports medicine, primarily foot and ankle, and then this in-office needle arthroscopy training, where I'll be able to learn some in-office procedures and hopefully translate that into wherever I end up in my practice, and and be able to do diagnostic procedures and therapeutic procedures and very minimally invasive procedures in the office, which would be really neat and novel. Um, so I'm very excited about that. And then during the, this time and over the next year or two, I am working on my PhD in Gender studies in foot and ankle surgery, actually. So a lot of my work has been on gender studies um, as far as outcome differences and mechanism of injury differences in, in you know, in orthopedics in general. But a lot of the work that hasn't been done yet is foot and ankle specific, which you know we, we know so much about sports injuries like ACLs and patellofemoral[s] and you know, there's so much that we know in other body parts, but the foot and ankle we haven't, we've just lagged behind in our knowledge. So my PhD work is going to invest investigate, um, you know, the difference in injury patterns and, and outcomes of surgeries, as well as even, you know, on a more biologic level, look at chondral differences and, and, you know, our hormonal differences that, you know, how that affects tendon makeup and, and cartilage makeup. And, and so there's a lot that I'm excited about. Um, it's through the University of Amsterdam. And then, you know, Harvard is helping sponsor some of that right now. I'm working with Dr. DiGiovanni here and Dr. Gino Kirchhoff will be the head in uh, Amsterdam. So doing a lot of collaborative work work, um, which I'm very, you know, it's, it's a lot, but it's really exciting.
0: (laughs) It doesn't really exciting. You can just tell, I mean, I'm excited about all this too. I don't even know any of this is going on. How exciting. (laughs)
1: Um, but
0: so what is your, um, what is your life after fellowship going to look like? What do you want to ultimately accomplish?
1: Yes, so I, I think I would like to pro- probably start in an academic setting. I've always wanted to work in academia, continue, continue my research, uh, continue working with residents and medical students. I, you know, I know how important it was to me having some incredible mentors. A lot of these mentors who are my co-authors on the paper—they're the ones that have you know helped me get through residency and through challenging times. So I hope that I can be that for those who follow in my footsteps as well. Um, so yeah, I think over the next uh, six months to a year, I'll have to start, you know, applying for jobs and you know figuring that out, and hopefully be able to continue all the work that we're doing. Um, because I do think that looking at foot and ankle surgery is a passion of mine, and becoming great in that, and and learning and doing all the research in that field is important. But I also think doing work that improves our education curriculum and our system is also important to do. So I think I want to keep doing both of those paths um, as I develop into you know an attending surgeon. <laughs> That's
0: great. Well, I mean, leaders certainly make more leaders. And so
1: I'm just really excited about your
0: career and all the, um, the results of all the hard work that you're doing. I think it's just, you're going to have far reaching um, results of all this too. So really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Um, I really applaud all the work that you're doing. It's just really remarkable.
1: Well, thank you so much for, for looking at this article and reading it and, and wanting to speak about it. It means a lot to me to promote it because I do think it's important uh, to get it out there that, you know, we, here's a problem, we're identifying it, we're presenting solutions, and, and now it's time to make change for the better. So I thank you for having me. It's been great speaking with you.
0: Absolutely. And so I'll have all the contact information on so the show notes if you want to see um, and hear more about uh, Speak Up Ortho, the physician just equity and, um, and what Dr. Uh, Ariana Giannakos is up to. Thank you again for your time today.